Kilishoteka Kiviti Hashem, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Want to welcome you to a special segment I want to call Observance Levels because this is such a prevalent thing for people who are brand new to Torah and for people who haven't been acquainted with Torah since uh, their youth, their infancy. So there is this understanding that there's so much to do, there's so much to learn, there's so little time. So what do you really do with all that, especially if you're trying to turn around a whole ship that you've been on, you've learned so many things growing up and you have preconceived notions and you have things that you're attached to, all sorts of familiar spirits and things like that. What do you do with all that when you're trying to convert and when you're trying to become born again and all these things obviously without the assistance of Shemaim none of this could really occur so the fact that you're even aware of any of these things is proof right there that Hashem is trying to help us out so I want to go ahead and start with Midrash Rabbah 22 section 2 from Shemot which is in a par- which is speaking about Parsha Beshalach. So Midrash Rabbah Shemot 22.2. And I want to bring this up specifically as a launch point because this is exactly what Yehudim went through. Any person who's called a Jew has to understand that the way we were born was through conversion and leaving behind preconceived notions, conditioned mindsets, different theologies. Uh, it was the same with Abraham. It was the same with all of our matriarchs. It was the same with all of Israel who left Egypt. We were in Egypt for so long that had Hashem left us there for another second, it would have been impossible to take us out. We were so steeped in the ways of Egypt which is, by the way, synonymous with the world, because at that time, Egypt was considered to be the world. It was just as dominant in that uh, power aspect. So we were so steeped in the world, if you will. We were in the world, and we were of it. And Hashem was like, that's enough. I want my people, and we're going to do this right now, which is the significance of understanding Pesach, the significance of understanding the whole week of unleavened bread and going through the parting of the sea and coming to the mountain, which that whole process from leaving Egypt, going through the sea, getting to the mountain, guess what was happening? The counting of the Omer, which is currently what we're in right now. So, with that being said, here's the launch point from Shemot Rabbah 22.2. Another interpretation. And the water will go back upon Mitzrayim. Rabbi Yochanan said, When the last of the people of Israel emerged from the bed of the sea, the last of the, the, last of the army of Mitzrayim descended into it. But Rabbi Shimeon ben Lakish, ben Lakish says, the sea closed up on both the Egyptians 
and the Israelites. Okay, let's let's do this again. But Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says the sea closed up on both the Egyptians and the Israelites from all its four directions. Moshe then said before Hakadosh Baruchu, "What should Israel do to escape the oncoming water?" God responded to him, "You need not involve yourself. Why is that? Because I shall perform a miracle for them." At that moment, Hakadosh Baruchu sent forth his hand. Side note, who is the hand of Hakadosh Baruchu? Just saying, it's the Mashiach, it's the angel of his face. But I digress. He sent forth his hand and raised the Israelites. He sent forth his hand and raised the Israelites. Okay? It literally says... I'm going to read the Hebrew of this phrase. Beelta Sha'a. So literally, at that moment, at that hour, Shlach HaKadosh Baruchu, the Shliach, the sent one of HaKadosh Baruchu. It says, Shlach HaKadosh Baruchu et Yado, the Aleph Tav, hand of Hashem. So, just going to point that out for a second. That who saved us? Hashem saved us. How did Hashem save us? By his hand. Okay? And it says, what did the hand what did his hand do? Raised the Israelites out of the sea as scripture states. He sent from on high and took me. He drew me out of deep waters. Tehillim, which is Psalms eighteen seventeen. So, that's the first thing I want to point out. And the next thing I want to point out is... There's a part here that talks about how Hashem brought the last of us out of the water who were moving a little slow. Let's see here if I can find this. You know, involve yourself. The point that I want to bring up, which is why I want to Bezrat Hashem find this part, is that we have to understand that not everyone is on the same level. And what this really brings up is the point of how to understand 
that in our observance, as long as we are attaching ourselves to Hashem, Hashem is going to take care of us. He's going to put us where we need to be. So, when we look at Hashem lifting us up out of the water, and Hashem is making sure that we all get to where we need to go, that for some people, they're at the front of the pack, for some people, they're at the middle of the pack. And for some people, they're at the back of the pack. But who's to say that's always going to be the case? Because you realize that when we got to Mount Sinai and we saw the Shemaim opened up, that we got arranged in formation at that point. And this was all before we technically received the Torah. We said whatever Hashem said we will do, which was accepting the Torah, which, by the way, made us immortals at that point. But we danced around the golden calf. So we never really got the Torah the first time. So after the whole repentance thing, blot my name out, the Moshe statement that he made to Hashem to uh, intercede for us. And then Hashem was like, all right, fine. I'll forgive them. Go back and get more tablets. And then I'm going to write the same Torah on these tablets. It's going to be a lesser covenant, but we'll have it. So with the lesser covenant, we arranged ourselves in formation. We weren't immortal at that point. And it's only now until the coming of Mashiach where the dead will be raised and all that wonderfulness of the redemption is going to occur, that that is the, the condition that awaits us. That's ahead of us. But in the meantime, we're supposed to get information, which is getting into observance, finding our place within the Jewish people, and being obedient to Hashem, and we're supposed to be refining ourselves. So, at this point, I'm not seeing where this little note is on Hashem uh, helping those who were slow to get out of the, the sea. But it's in this section of Midrash. So, I'm going to look a couple more pages. Stand by. And I really don't remember where I saw that, but I know it was talking about. Let's see, I'm gonna just I'm gonna read the next part. It says Rabbi Abahu said, It is comparable to one who saw the troops of brigades converging upon him, and at that time his son was with him. What did the person do to protect his son from danger? He took his son in his one hand. And he was battling against the troop with the second hand. And his son said to him, 
Father, may I never witness a lack of strength in those two hands of yours. The one that is holding me and the one that is killing the brigades in the attacking troop. Similarly, Yisrael said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, May there be shalom upon those two hands of yours, the one that is saving us from the sea and the one that is churning the Egyptians in the sea. As scripture states, Your right hand, Adonai, is glorified with strength. Your right hand, Adonai, smashes the enemy. And that's also from Tehillim. Uh, that one's from 15.6. So just to go down here to the footnote, it says the double mention of God's hand in the verse indicates that God was employing two hands, i.e. he simultaneously engaged in separate and independent acts. Thus, the phrase, your right hand, Adonai, is glorified with strength, alludes to God's rescue of the Israelites from the oncoming seawater. See Ramban in this same uh, section of commentary, which was fully distinct from his punishing the Egyptians alluded to by the phrase, your right hand Adonai smashes the enemy. Although the verse is discussing God's two hands, both are described as your right hand. For there is no concept of a left hand with reference to Hashem. And commentators in the same section of scripture, scripture uh, of Shir Hashirim 1-2 and also section 2, also Yefe To'ar and Eitz Yosef. And Eshed Ha-Nechalim notes that God's right hand represents his attribute of mercy. According, accordingly, scripture's use of your right hand with regard to punishment of the Egyptians, signifies that due to their immense wickedness, even God's attribute of mercy was strict and vengeful towards the Egyptians. Another footnote over here says, although according to the plain meaning, the verse refers to King David. Okay, and we're talking about he sent from on high and took me. He drew me out of deep waters. That's from, again, Tehillim 18.17. So it says, The Midrash interprets it as discussing the Israelites at the Sea of Reeds, for Scripture records no incident in which David was rescued from water. While God could have ensured that the Israelites reached safely, reached safety, before bringing the sea back to drown the Egyptians, he allowed the water to return while the Israelites were still on the sea floor, so as to further magnify the miracle of their deliverance. You know, I always wondered how that worked, that if you have billions of people crossing through, and then you have the Egyptians uh, in hot pursuit, how do you know when all the Egyptians make it in if all the children of Israel are out? Now, the timing could have been that way, but Hashem was showing, or uh, Midrash is showing us that Hashem actually took it up a notch. He's like, you know what? I can have Israel and Egypt in the water, and I can save Israel while simultaneously 
drowning the Egyptians. Because that's what I can do with one hand. And you think about that with the grace message that exists today. That the the message Mashiach, again, this is Midrash Shabbat 22.2 from Parsha Beshalach. But you think about that with Mashiach bringing us the good news of redemption for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. For those who are willing to suffer outside the camp, for those who are willing to be ostracized and alienated, to some people, that's horrible. And to other people, it's salvation. And then, on the other flip side of this, on a whole completely different tangent, it's like, yeah, because Mashiach came, there's so much grace, you don't have to do anything. Just live your life however you want to live. Try to be nice to people and do some of the civil laws. You know, no stealing. You know, you can engage in same-sex relations if you would like. You can eat whatever you like, which is like the same thing as same-sex relations. They're actually related if you do a study on it. And, you know, so it's just kind of like, okay, so that's a grace message. Over here's a grace message. So which one's the real grace message? So with a real grace message, please stand up. And here it is right here that Hashem sends his Mashiach and he completely encapsulates those who are with Hashem and those who are not with Hashem. But simultaneously, those who are with Hashem are being saved and delivered while those who are not with Hashem in the same environment are being crushed and they're being destroyed. So let me just ask you in your life, do you feel like you're being crushed and destroyed or do you feel like you're being saved and delivered? Which can kind of look like being crushed and destroyed sometimes because of all the challenges, all the growth uh, experiences that we have to have, and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know the difference between the two because of the shalom that you have and how it all sources out in the scriptures. And I mean the law. And I mean the prophets. And I mean the Psalms. Those are actually the scriptures. So. That's the first thing to take into account is that no matter where you feel like you are, that's not where you're ultimately going to be unless you're just not going to try and unless you just are going to settle. Because Judaism is not about settling. It's always about growing. It's literally going from strength to strength, as the word says. So. If you feel like, man, this is hard, this is so confusing, I can't think right now, I don't have enough time for this, I did not get enough time to study, I feel like I'll never get enough time to study, what is this Hebrew, what is this Halakha, you know, what is this custom, you start getting into those bubbles, the first thing you need to do is stop and think about the parting of the sea for a second. And how no matter where you were in the pack, but because you were in the pack, Hashem 
God's hand was sent to you to pick you up and to bring you through. And I want to connect that to what's known as the six remembrances. Uh, it's called the, the Shas Zekorot, the six remembrances. Uh, Zekirat, okay? So, number one, you got to have the Zekirat of the redemption from Egypt. Okay, which is really cool because, you know, Shemot Rabbah 22.2. We just talked about that, right? Because the culmination of us being redeemed from Egypt really is getting the Torah. But really before that, it's actually after we went through the sea and the Egyptians were destroyed. Because at that point, not only were we free from captivity, we're also free from those who were our captors of said captivity. So it's one thing to be set free from from the the dungeon or whatever, but it's another thing to be set free from the kingdom who housed the dungeon. Not only that, but to take it up another notch for the intermediate time, Hashem is calling us to be refined, calling us to grow, calling us to leave behind all of that dungeon mess so that we can be prepared to receive the kingdom and its righteousness, because that's what the Torah is called, by the way, the righteousness of God, and also called the kingdom of God. But anyway, you just think about all this, and that's where our freedom is. Our freedom is in the voice of Hashem that is to be written on our hearts for us to not only hear, but for us to also do. And no matter what, quote unquote, level you feel like you're at, because of that reality, your observance will grow and it will grow beyond what you could possibly ever know. But the thing is, it takes time and it takes steadfastness and it takes failing only to get up and learn from that failure to move forward. And you may fail again, but you must get up, learn from that failure, and move forward. The Tehillim says, or the Aslika, the Mishle, the Proverbs, say that a righteous man falls seven times. I.e., if you really want to consider yourself righteous, which... It's not really for us to really uh, judge. However, we can strive for it. And by striving for it, we actually find out that we end up walking as a righteous person. And we know that our righteousness comes from Hashem. So there is all that, which means Hashem expects us to continue to get up from our failures. Now, a person who is observant of the Torah, believing in Mashiach, learning and growing every single moment, every single day. If you're going through failures and challenges, which we all should be going through those things, by the way, because no matter how much you think you know, there's always something you forgot. You're just like, oh my gosh, how did I forget about that? But I knew that, you know, and it's just like, yeah, you did, but you forgot. 
You know, and by the way, that's the grace of Hashem to keep us humble. I want to go to the Omer meditation that we did last night because it was just so like, wait a minute, what is going on? So last night we counted 31 days of the Omer, right? So to Ferret of Hode, it says this, just as humility brings compassion, compassion can lead one to humility. So compassion and humility have this like symbiotic relationship, if you will, where if you're a person who is seeking to be compassionate, it's going to take you being humble. And then because you're being humble, you're going to become more compassionate. And hode, by the way, which is the, the humility aspect, is that that is the embodiment of Aharon. The 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 Cohen, the first Cohen Hagadol in the wilderness. Yeah, the one who connected us to Hashem and brought all the Corbinot and all that kind of stuff. That that guy. The one who entered into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. So if you think about it, the great high priest, you know, which Aharon was a reflection of but not the totality of that right there is showing us. I mean, that's the mustard seed of humility. So how much more so the great high priest, which we know about what the letter to Hebrews talks about, that he came and walked, uh, walked in our, and our struggles and our challenges and he fully understands and comprehends everything that we go through. So as he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, he knows exactly what we're going through and what we're experiencing, no matter who we are. Many of us may go through challenges and struggles, but none of us have been crucified. None of us have been betrayed to be set up to be crucified you know, and got yelled at and mocked at saying you're a blasphemer, whip him, you know, uh, off with his head kind of thing. None of us have gone through that. But Mashiach did. And furthermore, even if we feel like we've gone through that on a uh, not literal level, but symbolic level, Mashiach went through that while he was innocent, while he was blameless, while he was faultless before God without any sin. Many of us go through betrayals, hurts, pains, and persecutions of all kinds, but we have sin. Even if we make teshuva, there's still another sin that's lurking around the corner ready to take us out. Not to mention that our flesh, which just wants what it wants, uh, that's kind of an issue too. You know, that if we don't channel those wants for Hashem, then they lead us off the path again. And there we are uh, being prosecuted and in need of making teshuva. Because, you know, Yochanan tells us, that John, 
He says that he who says he's without sin, he who says he is without sin is a what? Is a liar. You basically align yourself with the kingdom of darkness, the serpent, Hasatan, the Malakamavit. Shall we go on? If you think you don't have sin, that's who you're homeboy, homeboy with. So, all that being said, when you understand your quote-unquote level of observance, you need to take into account, have I been delivered from Egypt? Okay, yes. All right. So I got a whole lot of things that I'm dealing with, but I'm out of Egypt. Okay? I'm not trying to be doing what the world is doing. If you're at that point, okay, hold on to that, and let's go to the next one. So the second of the six remembrances is Zekirat, which is the remembrance of what? Receiving the Torah. Now, this in the Hebrew says, Ma'amad Har Sinai, which literally means standing at Har Sinai. And it's just kind of interesting that the receiving of the Torah, but uh, it's like, no, you were standing. Because here's what the the underlying commandment says to that. It says, only beware and guard yourself carefully, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they stray from your heart all the days of your life, and you are to make them known to your children and to your children's children. The day you stood before Shem, your God, at Sinai. So remember, standing at Sinai is all about what we accepted, what we saw, what we heard, what we went through, how we got there. That's all wrapped up in standing at Har Sinai. So you've been delivered from Egypt. You're standing at Har Sinai. What's next? Zekirat, the attack of Amalek. Now, because I had so much fun with that last Hebrew word, this says Zekirat Maaseh Amalek, the work, the doing of Amalek. And Amalek was an attack, right? Wrong. (laughs) Because Amalek goes all the way back to what Esau wanted to do to Yaakov when he stole the blessings. And I say stole as a very facetious word because Yaakov didn't steal anything. He owned those blessings because they came with the birthright. Remember that one time Aesop was like, what is this birthright to me? Just give me that red stuff. Give me materiality. Take away spirituality. It's no good for me anyway. There's no afterlife. There's no angels. There's no oral Torah. There's no rabbis. There are no sages. We just get this world and we just get to live for one night and one night only. Okay. And it's just kind of like, okay, Asaph, 
So you can't be upset when the father wants to bless the firstborn son, which you said you didn't want any part of, and then realize the blessing of the firstborn son has all this spiritual stuff that's also connected with physical stuff, you know, like Mashiach, like the temple, like the Torah, you know, spiritual stuff like mixed with uh, spiritual stuff mixed with physical stuff. Because just as spiritual as the Torah is, just as physical as it is as well. Same with the temple. Same with Mashiach. And Bezrat Hashem, the same with us. We get a choice on that, though. So, Asaph wanted to kill Yaakov, but was like, you know what? I'm not going to kill Yaakov. I have lots of sons. Let me just get my son Eliphaz to go kill Yaakov. Eliphaz is like, okay, Uh, I'm going to have a really hard time doing that because that's my uncle, but okay. So he comes up to Yaakov. He's like, all right, well, my father said to kill you. Yaakov's like, well, you don't have to kill me literally. You can kill me spiritually by taking all my stuff and leaving me as a pauper. Taking all my money, I'll be a poor man. I'll lack possessions and all that. I'll be considered dead. So take this. So what's funny is the son of Esau accepted oral Torah because oral Torah teaches that, you know, just because you're uh, just, like, basically, you're not con- you're not considered dead because you're like not breathing and don't have a pulse, but you're considered dead. And there's a there's a lot of different conditions. And one of them is being a poor person. So if you really want to talk about raising the dead. How about going out to help poor people? Hmm. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so Eliphaz was like, Psh, well, I, I ain't kill him, but I killed him. And Aesop was like, you didn't kill him. Again, I don't accept that oral Torah stuff. So if he if he's still walking around on the earth, he's not dead. You know what? Out with you. Let me go to my grandson, Amalek. That's right. Amalek is the grandson of Asaf. And Amalek had a good mama who was like, you know what? Can't kill Yaakov because if you do, the whole family is going to have to go to Egypt. Asaf didn't want to go to Egypt. That's why he chose Mount Seir. And Asaf's descendants were like, nah, we ain't about that struggle life. We about that rich life. We want what we want now. We want the glory now. And we don't want no suffering at all. So, you know what? Let Yaakov and his children deal with the whole Egypt thing. But when they get done with that, when that payment is in full, when it is finished, then best believe we come in for their head. So the work of a- of Amalek is not necessarily an attack. It's actually a grudge, vengeance, fulfillment from 430 years previous to this incident in the wilderness that's how far that story goes back and so when you really think about what's going on with the melek not only is a melek the same gematria as the word for doubt but a melek literally means fruitless labor and then on top of that the background in the history of a melek is that we want to kill the jews and it's just kind of like okay so Amalek wants to wipe out 
the progeny of Yaakov because we stole again, very facetious because we didn't steal anything, but we stole the blessings. We have all the goods and all the physical aspects of it is what they need and what they want. And so if they can kill us, they can get those things and then the spiritual things will be neglected and therefore the whole world can be thrown into chaos because where there is no vision, the people perish. The Torah grants us vision. Anything outside of the Torah is lack of vision, which lacks provision, which causes division. So, and excision, just to go ahead and finish that rhyme. So, uh, if you just think about all of that, okay, so you, you know what we're up against. Removing us from the law. Removing us from redemption, salvation. Removing us from imuna. Okay? So, if you're doing these first three things that we just talked about, getting out of Egypt, standing at Mount Sinai, remembering the work of Amalek, those are constant commandments that we are fulfilling and remember the word for a commandment is attachment to a shim. So regardless if your kitchen is kosher, regardless if you're fully keeping the Shabbat, according to Halakha, like maybe you lit candles and you cooked your dinner. Maybe you lit candles, you already had dinner prepared and you needed to be like, oh, I forgot breakfast or I forgot egg and I got to go cook real quick. Okay. But you've acknowledge okay it is the shabbat i didn't get everything prepared i didn't know about cooking or kindling a fire i didn't know all this other stuff but i knew about shabbat i knew about the day which by the way sets you worlds apart from the entire world because how many people acknowledge a shabbat today let's just think about that for a second even the people who cook on shabbat just think about that group of people who acknowledge a Shabbat Friday night before sundown and then take that time through Saturday night, nightfall, and go, hey, Hashem, this is your day. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be a part of your covenant. I want to be a part of your kingdom. How many people are actually doing that? Okay. And again, cooking aside uh driving or whatever you want to bring up even though driving is not really an issue but to some people it is um playing music on shabbat some people that's a, a, a struggle living in an Arab, that's another thing you know that brings a lot of contention and a lot of frustration you know and uh stuff for people <clears throat> but really the important thing is fearing hashem keeping his commandments is that not at the end of the the writings of ecclesiastes the great sum and total of all things is fear hashem and keep his commandments i guarantee you that if you're truly keeping hashem's commandments when you take that over the years and you look back five years down the road back to where you are now I mean, just even six months, if not shorter, 
If you're feeling, fulfilling the commandments of Hashem, commandments are called connections, attachments, okay, conduits of light. And as you're revealing those things in the world, you will be transformed and you will be changed, especially if you do it on a consistent basis. And how much you're going to learn, oh my goodness. You're going to learn more than some people learn in a lifetime because you're doing commandments out of fear and love of Hashem. Can't have one or the other. You got to have both. You got to have fear and love. So going on, when you think about these three mitzvot just off the top without even getting into all six, that what you're doing, okay, is you're putting yourself in the hand of Hashem. And again, I go back to the sea because it's it's just so poignant that not everybody made it out of the sea onto dry land at the same time. The waters closed in over Israelites and Egyptians, and Hashem took every single Israelite out. So maybe some of them made it to the seashore before the water started to go back, or maybe everybody was still in the water. So it's all submerged, and Hashem is like, you know what? I'll show you how legit this is. You know, and I'll I'll take one hand and I'll deliver my people and destroy their enemies. Which, side note, if you really think about that commentary on that footnote, how are the two Mashiachs, one Mashiach, and they're both considered the right hand of Hashem? Well, Hashem seems to have two right hands, but it's really one. And Hashem really doesn't have a hand anyway. So what are we really talking about? Because we're giving him attributes that when you really get down into the essence and the magnitude of who Hashem is, he's beyond all we could ever know, think, whatever you want to fill in the blank with, and that's Hashem. That's literally why one of the names that we call Hashem is Ain Sof, which literally is the infinite one or without end if you want to get technical so yeah there's that to really kind of blue screen and think about but going on it says this zekirat maasei haegel not to be confused with ego because egos are really delicious especially the blueberry or the chocolate chip ones but anyway, the calf. Remember the golden calf. Remember the work of the golden calf. And again, I love that it says ma'asei. Because what did it take to make the golden calf is the point. Just like ma'asei amelik, what did it take for amelik is the point. To remember, to go all the way back to the source of it. The source of the golden calf, by the way, is Egypt. You know, the place we were supposed to remember we were delivered from. So I could go on about that, but that'd be a whole nother hour drosh because the golden calf is like probably one of the most epic, horrendous things ever. Literally is uh, synonymous with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's how bad it was. By the way, the same conditions happened uh, before we ate from the tree. We were immortal. 
Before we made the golden calf, we were immortal. So, aftermath, same. Kicked out of the garden, not immortal. Kicked out of the clouds, not immortal. When we made the golden calf. So, if you think about everything that happened in the wilderness, especially if you reference Legends of the Jews, among many other things, that in the clouds was like being in the garden. You had rivers of living water flowing everywhere. You had all the the fruit and the goodness uh, that you needed uh, being supplied by the manna. And then you had, you know, these beautiful clouds that surrounded you. There was neither day nor night inside the clouds. Everywhere we camped and left, we left behind a garden oasis. But we were traveling through barren wilderness, right? So like just arid uh, terrain and rocky, nothing out there. Cloud comes through, turns it into a garden. Watch, by the way, the same thing is going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. What we currently know of Sodom and Gomorrah will just be, you're going to be like, what was that? You know, because the way it's going to look in the time to come. <clears throat> so that is something to say about the the final redemption that we're praying and not predicting comes soon. There was a, a gentleman on the Aliyah day who was commenting and he knows who he is. His name is Yaakov. <clears throat> and I just want to shout him out because this guy just going to get on the comment and be like, yeah, we're supposed to pray for it and not predict it. Talking about the coming of Mashiach. Because there are people who are saying Mashiach is coming this year, saying he's coming Rosh Hashanah. And I'm like, why did you do that? Why did you just go ahead and put it within the realm of man to say when Mashiach is coming? Sleek when it says literally no man knows the day or the hour. I really hope he comes Rosh Hashanah. I really pray Hashem brings Mashiach Rosh Hashanah. But you know what? I pray Hashem brings Mashiach right now. Because that would be just, that would be legit. You know? Like, why are we waiting for? You know? Oh, we got to go make converts. Oh, we got to go gather in divine sparks. Oh, we got to work on our medot, our character. Hmm. Oh, we got to raise up Jewish households in the four corners of the world. <clears throat> yeah. That's why Mashiach isn't back yet, because we still got work to do. And by the way, we're supposed to be caught working when he shows up. It's supposed to be like the days of Noah, for crying out loud. How many people were just sitting around waiting on the flood? Nobody. Even Noah, who knew when the flood was coming, kept building a boat up to the last minute. I'm just saying we should probably take a hint and we should probably do that instead of sitting around saying Mashiach is going to come on this day or this day or this day. Why don't we get busy working and praying for Mashiach to come this day, this day, this day, this day. He didn't come today. Hashem come now, you know, like come tomorrow, come, come yesterday, come right now, you know, Every day that Mashiach is not here, we should be praying that Hashem will come right now. 
while we're working, by the way. So that's the the fourth one. What's the fifth one? What's the fifth remembrance? Zekirat Miriam. Literally, remember Miriam. What did she do? It said, remember what Hashem, your God, did to Miriam on the way when you departed Mitzrayim. What happened over there with Miriam? It says, she criticized. Okay, first of all, criticized. Not good. Her brother, Moshe, on the grounds. So here's the deal. If you're going to criticize somebody, which... I would tell all of us to refrain from because unless we're criticizing ourselves, we're not really in a place to criticize other people. And furthermore, the fact that you want to criticize somebody is showing what you need to work on in yourself. So when you get upset about something that somebody else is doing, it's because you have to fix that in your own life. By the way, this comes out in the Musar studies that your neighbor, whether they're a Jew or a non-Jew, they are a mirror. And so we have to understand that every human being that we encounter, whether they rub us the wrong way or whether we think that they're the coolest person ever, that's a mirror reflection of an aspect of our very being. So therefore, if we're mad at somebody, we should be mad at ourselves because you, we are the cause for the person that's making us mad. We're the, we're the cause of that. And the way we fix that is by fixing ourselves. To go, Hashem, that made me so mad. What do I need to fix with myself? And he's like, see that thing you're angry about? That right there. Look at that inside of you and fix it. No excuses. No pity parties. No temper tantrums. No, I just can't. Oh, gosh, right now. Like, no, none of that. Just go, okay. Hashem. Hashem, right now, help me do that. Help me fix it. Thank you for showing that and pointing that out to me. Even though I really could care less for that right now. I really didn't want that to happen. Uh, I'd rather, you know, this to be a, a wonderful and amazing experience. And Hashem's like, well, we need your, your, we need your growth right now and your refinement. And then you will have a wonderful experience. Hashem gives us breaks. I mean, come on. What is it? If you don't, if you go 40 days without being challenged. Okay. 40 days is a long time. Okay. But if you go 40 days without being challenged, you better be concerned because that means that you're kind of, uh, you're distant from Hashem. Because within the context of 40 days, you should have something that's just like eating your lunch, your dessert, uh, went back in time and ate your breakfast. Uh, that Those kinds of things happen. And it's just kind of like, consider it all joy, my brethren, my brethren, when you encounter trials and tribulations of all kinds. Who said that, Yaakov? The one who grew up in the same household as Mashiach. Like, literally a Jewish household. But anyway, remember that because Miriam criticized on the grounds that he did not live with his wife. Side note, to really be in somebody's grill like that, not good, okay? It's like, 
he hasn't been with his wife. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, that's a little awkward. But anyway, so she criticized him on that. And it says she failed to consider. Consider. Let's all say consider. Consider. Most of the times we criticize and we have uh, premises or whatever you want to call it, you know, behind what we're criticizing about. The premise of our criticism typically doesn't have consideration as a part of it. So it says she failed to consider that a man of Moshe's humility and unselfishness would not have done so unless he had been commanded. And it keeps going on, but I want to stop right there because Moshe did not do what he wanted to do. He learned that lesson 40 years ago. Remember that one time he saw an Egyptian striking a Jewish person and he pronounced the divine name and killed the, the Egyptian person and then hid that person in the sand and the, the Jew who was getting beat up by the Egyptian was like, what's wrong with you? I, I was fine. And I don't, I don't appreciate you getting in my business. Moshe was like, I was just trying to help. And he's like, no, you were not helpful. You killed this Egyptian guy. Now we're going to be in more trouble. So like, there's a whole little tangent on that. But then you got the two witnesses, Dathan and Abiram, who were like, Moshe done killed an Egyptian. This guy, he thinks he can live in the house of Pharaoh and be a Jew and then just go behind the back of the Egyptians and then kill Egyptians and be like, no, I'm cool, Egypt. I'm I'm the son of Pharaoh. Like, psh, who does he think he is? And then he thinks he's better than us because he's a Jew living in the Egyptian palace and not going through any of the... No, 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 this is over. We're going to Pharaoh right now. That's Dathan and Abiram. You know, you'll you'll meet a lot more of them in Bami Bar. Or shall I say, Boom Meat Bar. I'm just going to say you right now that when we get into Bami Bar, Bezrat Hashem, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun because for some reason, when all the tour portions in Bami Bar, like... They just put my soul on a whole nother zone. It's just kind of like, if you go back in the history of the podcast, you'll see that I've actually renamed a lot of the tour portions. Like instead of, um, what is it? No, uh, Shalak. I called it uh, Shalak and Loaded or uh, Shalak and Load. And then Korak, it was like the Chiropractor, uh, Koraction. Can't get no Corruption Faction. I don't know. I, I saw that going differently in my head. Korok Faction. There we go. Can't get no Korok Faction. Instead of can't get no satisfaction. Wow. Okay, anyway. But you get my drift. And there's a whole lot, you know, uh, Block, Parsha Block. I called it Block Party, obviously, because of the sound. Anyway. Um, yeah, so the story of Miriam is in there and I just think it's really amazing that, you know, this is one of the things we're always to remember. Don't get crazy. Okay. Especially don't get sideways with people who are following the commandments of Hashem. Again, with these observance levels, what are we all trying to do? 
Okay, and if you have time to go bash somebody else for their excelling or their lack thereof in observance, how do you even have time to do that? And furthermore, what is behind doing that? I've done this a bajillion times and I will continue to do it a bajillion times. And what is that that I'm going to continue to do? That is to let everybody know, let everybody know that I used to be in that position. Looking down on people, thinking the people of the community that I was in, what's wrong with them? They either need to get with the program, as a group of us used to say, go orthodox or go home. And boy, I'm telling you, it's super damaging because not only is it Lashon Hurrah, not only is it criticism on the grounds of what? A failure to considerate. Yeah, I just, I just threw that in there. I made that up. A failure to considerate, but literally a failure to take into consideration. What we have here is a failure to considerate. Anyway, um, so many references, but I just want to point it out though, that that's what it, that's what it is. You you look down on other people for their observance because you don't feel like you're good enough. That really is what it boils down to. And again, you fail to consider what this other person is going through. You fail to consider what mitzvot they are doing. And side note, what are the six things we're supposed to be doing anyway? One of them is remember Miriam. You act like Miriam and you get Za'arat and you get kicked outside the camp when you do things like that. So leave other people's observance alone. If people need help, they will ask you. If they don't need help, they won't ask you. So it's not up to us to say you need help. You should have asked me. That's not up to us. You know, if you really think about it, let's go back to the analogy of the splitting of the sea. Because if you were at the front of the pack, right, and you went through the sea and you were like, yeah, I'm with Hashem, I'm zealous, I got mm, I got my business, you know. I'm not saving Nishma all day with the t-shirt and the matching keeper, you know, well, collar shirt with the button up because, you know, Shomer stuff. But anyway, because that's how holy, holy, holy I am. But, uh... What is homeboy or homegirl doing back there at the back of the pack, still in the sea? It's been six hours. We've been chilling on the seashore, and they're still out there in the sea. What are y'all doing? Did that person really run back into the sea and go smack, 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 get out of the sea? What's wrong with you? No, I recall that we all walked through, and Hashem sent his right hand, picked us up, and brought us all out. Nobody went back to go get people that were lacking behind because, first of all, no one considered other people as lacking behind. We were all walking towards Hashem. So if you really think about that again, just in that little analogy, it's really silly to tell somebody that their observance is whack. It's really silly to say, 
I can't believe you don't do this custom. What is wrong with you? Out. Off with his head. I'm telling the governor. You know, to really do something like that is to literally say, thank you, Hashem, for bringing me to the seashore. This person back here is still in the sea. We got to go. Well, I mean, we don't have to really go. We're going to stay here for a while anyway because we're going to loot the Egyptians that washed up on the seashore with all their bling bling and their chariots. Because, yeah, that's what we did. You think we just got to the seashore and just immediately went and followed the cloud? No. We stayed at the seashore for I don't know how long. Moshe was like, everybody, Hashem said, let's go. And we're like, yeah, one minute. I'm still going through these jewelry things over here. Moshe's like, Hashem said, we need to go now. Put the jewelry down. Take what you already have and let's go. Little did we know that Hashem would cause jewels and precious stones to rain down with the manna that we were going to get in a little bit if we kept following Hashem. So therefore, what we thought that we could mass on our own with our human effort, Hashem was like, guys, you don't need to do that. You need to just follow me and I'll take care of that. So anyway, it gets crazy like that when you get the big head and observance and you take away compassion for other people and take away consideration for what other people are going through. You need to understand what people are going through. It's super hard if you've never been in Torah before and you're just now discovering the Shabbat. Which, by the way, you didn't discover Shabbat on your own. Hashem allowed you to discover Shabbat. Because there's people who know what Shabbat is and know when Shabbat is and they could care less. So for the fact that a person goes, oh my goodness, Shabbat? Seventh day of the week? Starts at Friday night? Light candles? Say Kiddush? Eat challah? I mean, if that's just a few things that's going on, we need to just like stop and do exactly what the angels in Shemaim do when one sinner repents. And that is party time. Excellent. Torah world. Torah world. Why are these songs coming out? I have no idea. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Just just know this comes with the podcast. This comes with Shomer Man. This comes with Shomer Industries. You get these random outbursts. Anyway, remember Miriam. Don't get crazy. Be humble. Be compassionate. Let's not look down on other people. Let's be super encouraging all the time, even if we don't like what somebody's doing with their observance. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just lit candles and you just put something in the oven and turn the oven on and started cooking. Like, I can't believe you did that. It's like, how long have they been in tour? How long did they know about Shabbat? I'm just saying. And do they do they even know that they're not supposed to cook on Shabbat? And and really, if you think about it, that's that's not really for you to like come down on them for. Because what about the things that you don't know about right now that you should be doing on Shabbat, but you're spending time looking at other people about what they shouldn't be doing on Shabbat because why? You learned that you weren't supposed to do that. How did you learn that you weren't supposed to do that? How long did it take you to learn what you should not do or what you should do on Shabbat? Give other people that same luxury, whether it takes the same amount of time, the less amount of time, or more amount of time. 
I'm pretty sure all the parents out there would say, not all my children learn the same way and at the same rate. So, I mean, I'm just saying, might want to think about that for a second. And if we're Hashem's children, and we are, how do you think the father's going to feel if one sibling is laying the smack down on another sibling? When the only way that the smacker downer sibling is even a child of Hashem anyway is because Hashem allowed this person to be a child. In other words, person A, who's the, I got it all, the halakha, I'm learning it and I'm still uh, learning, but I know all this stuff and I see other people lacking and what's wrong with them. I'm going to go smack them and tell them what they need to know. Just like Miriam thought she needed to tell Moshe what he needed to know. But there was a failure to considerate. But anyway, that's person A. Person B over here trying. They don't really know too much. They haven't really uh, been here a long enough time. They haven't really experienced a lot of stuff. They're slow at learning. They're struggling. They don't know the Hebrew yet. They don't have a lot of books. They don't have a lot of time. You know, they're still dealing with family drama and all that kind of stuff. That's person B. Person A and person B were made children of Hashem by who? Hashem. So therefore, if person A gets upset with person B about what person B is is or isn't doing, person A is forgetting that they're only a child because Hashem made them a child. So again, not only do you fail to consider what other people are going through, but you fail to consider the grace that has been extended to you. So who's trampling grace underfoot now? Don't trample grace underfoot by telling people their observance stinks. It's whack. You're not a Jew. You're fake. What's wrong with you? If these words start coming out of our mouths, we need to stop what we're doing return to Yeshua, and start from there. And by the way, that formula may not work for you because if you reach that point, you probably don't think Yeshua is good enough because you consider him attached to a klipa. And again, klipa is a spiritual shell of impurity. So he's Mashiach is commonly known as being associated with the klipa of Asaph. So... Not really kosher, uh, Not he's not divine, he's not the Mashiach, wasn't born of a virgin, uh, he leads people into lawlessness, and all that kind of stuff. That's literally the, the mentality you get, by the way, as you increase in this headiness of thinking that you're the best around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down, the best around. Yeah, when you start thinking like that, that's how you start feeling about Mashiach. He becomes little to you. Trust me, I've been there. And I know it doesn't work the same for everybody, but the principles are still the same. This is why people who want more stringencies, they want to do more stuff that they feel like the community is lacking in, they typically fall into not believing in the Mashiach Yeshua and, I mean, it's sad. 
So I pray that that is not the case. And I pray that that ends like yesterday. Because Sar Shalom, Lapide, Avengers have assembled. And we ain't got no time for that. Last one. Goodness gracious. Who would have thought it took an hour to talk about six remembrances? But I guess it does. Remembrance of the Shabbat. Zekirat HaShabbat. Remember the Shabbat and hallow it. Let's look at the footnote on this. It says, by refraining from work on the seventh day. That, by the way, is the rest. The refraining from work. It's not that you get to sleep all day. It's not that you don't get to do anything all day. It's literally the fact that you refrain from work. Okay, that's that's one layer of the rest that we have. So, you know, you're not doing the normal job you punch in nine to five for. Okay, so that maybe you don't work nine to five, maybe you work different hours, but you get what I'm saying. Like the normal hours of the week that you work and get your paycheck for, there's one day out of the week you do not do that, and that is a Shabbat or a Yom Tov. If you have a Yom Tov, like, you know, first day of Pesach, last day of week of unleavened bread, or Shavuot, or Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah, by the way, two days. Um, Yom Kippur, first day of Sukkot, and the eighth day of Sukkot, which is known as Shemini Atzeret. Okay, those are just naming a few. Obviously, the weekly Shabbat. So, these are days that you refrain from work. You are to do no laborious work. Like nothing you do, you should be getting a paycheck for. You shouldn't be clocking in hours. You shouldn't be contract working, any of that on the Shabbat. That is rest, by the way. And it says, the day that God rested upon the the completion of creation. So if you really think about Hashem did all this stuff for six days and then on on the Shabbat, it was just like, all right, we're done. And then there was nothing new. Everything was just growing out of its own. It was working. It was doing its thing. So going on from there, it says the Jew offers enduring, say enduring, enduring testimony that God created the world. Throughout the week, we remember the Shabbat by directing our purchases and preparations towards its honor. So you remember the Shabbat every day by preparing for the Shabbat that is coming up. This is why if you've heard of liturgy at the end of the morning prayer service, known as the song of the day, which Bay Ivrit is Shir Shel Yom. It literally says, like if it's the first day of the week, i.e. Sunday, what does it say? Hayom Yom Rishon Bashabat. Today is the first day of the week, the before the coming Shabbat. So every day is called the day of the coming Shabbat. So first day of the week, first day of Shabbat, second day of the week, the second day of Shabbat, third day 
third day of Shabbat, all the way up until you get to, oh, it's Shabbat. Start over. First day of Shabbat, second day of Shabbat, third day of Shabbat, fourth day of Shabbat, fifth day of Shabbat, sixth day of Shabbat, Shabbat. Everything is about the Shabbat. So these are our remembrances that we remember being redeemed from Egypt, standing at Har Sinai, the work of Amalek, the work of the golden calf. Remember Miriam and remember the Shabbat. And if you're doing these things, bringing them to mind, refraining from what these things teach us, engaging in what these things teach us, this is attaching you to a shim and causing you to grow. Whether or not you get to study, whether or not you get to pray, whether or not, you know, you get to do any other great grand mitzvah that you think about, these six things are with you always. And if a person is observant, this is the crux of everything on a constant basis. And the primary thing that is the core of our observance is the Shema, which we are to recite, contemplate, be mindful of when we retire, i.e. when we're going to sleep. And when we arise, i.e. when we're waking up. So if you don't get to do any prayer that day for some crazy reason, you are supposed to do the Shema beyond all other things and beyond any reasonable doubt. Those are what you do. Now, and I want to close this out with words from our Mashiach in Luke 16.10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much or sleek out with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you think that you're quote unquote killing it, knocking it out of the park with mitzvot, i.e. you think you're doing very much. Are you doing the little things? Because if you are then you wouldn't be boastful, you wouldn't be arrogant, you wouldn't be prideful, and you wouldn't go around blasting people who you consider less than. And even if you think other people are less than, remember what Mashiach says, even what you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like Walking up to Mashiach and telling him, smack, smack, what's wrong with you? Get your act together. You're making the whole community look bad. I'm out on that. So may we all be, and may we all encourage one another, and may we all build up one another, and may we all speak to one another with words of those encouragements and building up of one another. If we have something foul to say, bad to say, destructive to say, deconstructive to say, get rid of it. Get it out of here. Don't say it. Just just stop. Just whatever you need to do with that, just get it out. It, it does not need to be there, and it does not need to be spoken. Because remember, the words we speak about other people, whether they're for good or for bad, they activate 
those things in that person that we're speaking about. So are we speaking good things about other people? Because the reason we don't have a temple right now is because we weren't speaking good things about other people. Kili Shuateka, Kiviti Hashem, Hakadosh Baruku, please send Mashiach.